This morning, we're pleased to welcome to our pulpit a man who has been a friend of this congregation and the people in it for many years. Alan Prater graduated from Bird High School here in Shreveport. Uh, he's a graduate of Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, I believe, and of the Washington and Lee School of Law. He's had three careers. He spent 20 years in law enforcement, followed that with practicing law, and then took two years of chaplaincy training, which I assure you is a whole lot more difficult than it sounds like. Um, after which Alan served as a hospital and hospice chaplain for 10 years. For over 14 years, he's been practicing centering prayer, um, about which I'm sure we will hear today in his message and present Centering Prayer workshops in Louisiana and Texas and Arkansas. He's a student of Father Thomas Keating, who is lauded all over the world uh, for his teachings, and is a frequent visitor to St. Benedict's Monastery in Colorado, um, where he will go again, I think, in the not-too-distant future, where Father Keating leads a retreat center for practitioners of Centering Prayer, would you please help me welcome Alan Prater. I practiced everything except moving the mic. I'm happy to be here today to, to share a bit about my spiritual journey. I, I gave Barbara the title of the contemplative journey, but this is really more of a synopsis of uh, a worldview distilled from the Christian contemplative and mystical traditions. Uh, I hope to be true to Barbara's invitation, which was to acknowledge uh, your first principle, which is to affirm the affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and your first source, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. I am sensitive to the possibility that my thoughts and some of the language I may use will not be congruent with that with some of some in the congregation. However, I am a firm believer in the idea of many paths, one journey. And I would ask you then to take my comments and translate them for yourselves into what may be most congruent with your own experience, terminology, and understanding of the mystery, the source, the ever-present origin, the ground of all being, uh, which I call God. I've come to use the language of the Christian mystical and, and contemplative uh, traditions as my own, but I'm particularly indebted to Father Thomas Keating uh, in his teaching. Uh, of uh, I, I've known him personally for over the last 11 years and just have benefited so much by just being around such an incredibly <laughs> humble and transparent person. And I'm indebted to the current uh, teacher, uh, James Finley, 
who uh, teaches the, the Christian uh, mystical path. And uh, I, I admit that I will use a metaphor or two of his, and so it's sort of a running footnote uh, through my talk. Well, the Methodist Sunday School uh, that I was raised in uh, was not a place where there was much discussion of mystery. And uh, there was uh, not a lot of change when I became an Episcopalian. It was not until 2002 when I attended a workshop on centering prayer and began the daily practice of Christian meditation that my orientation began to change. Centering prayer is a contemplative and meditative practice which begins with a very specific intention, consenting to God's presence and action within. Without having articulated it really up to that point, I realized that I had come to believe not that there, just that there was something out there, but that this something was also within me. And that something that was out there and within me was somehow calling me to itself. That I was being wooed from the objective, uh, somewhat clinical belief system in which I had been raised uh, into a relationship. I realized that acknowledging the existence of this mystery and being able to talk about it was not the same as inviting the mystery to have its way with me. And I came to understand centering prayer, Christian meditation, as a way to respond to this intuition. You know, our understanding of the nature of relationship comes from our relationships with other people, where we move through stages of acquaintanceship to friendliness, to friendship, and then to intimacy. A truly intimate relationship with another person means that we trust them implicitly, we desire to hold nothing back from them, and that we give ourselves to them completely. It is a state of total self-surrender, not surrender in the sense of giving in to an overwhelming force or losing something of ourselves, but surrender as a conscious and voluntary act of self-giving the way that lovers give themselves to each other. As I sat in silence with God, opening myself as best I could twice a day, day after day, uh, I began to change. In time, I came to realize that an act of total self-surrender was taking place, but it was taking place on God's part, and that I was the recipient and this is the teaching of the Christian mystical tradition down through the centuries, that all of God's self is being poured out to us 100% all the time, that we, the world around us, and all that inhabits it are the mystery, bodying itself forth as our lives and the reality of all things, that we are perfectly manifesting the very thing we're seeking. How confusing. <laughs> It's given in its plenitude to everything that exists, rocks, trees, water, animals. What's different about us is that we're given the capacity to realize it, to respond to it, and to awaken, and to live out our lives in that light, that this is what's going on. It's a setup. The architect of our hearts has made our hearts in such a way 
that only an infinite union with infinite love will do. That love is what's going on. When it's all said and done, love is what's going on. That infinite love has created us in its own image as capacities to receive love. That we are all partakers in the largesse of the ground of all being. We are all siblings of the infinite. Although I'm not God, I'm not other than God either. Although I am not you, I'm not other than you either. Although I'm not the earth, I'm not other than the earth either. But the evidence of this uh, and the invitation to it is often subtle, subtle, subtle. Because love is always offered, it's never imposed. We're given glimpses of it often in nature. You know those occasional moments uh, when every, uh, out in nature, I love, I'm so jealous of this, what y'all have to see. Other people have said this probably because you're laughing. I'm so jealous of looking out, you know, every Sunday at that. It's just great. Um, but you're out here, and, and, and all of a sudden, there, there's never a warning. Everything stops. Your thinking stops. Internal dialogue ceases. We're totally connected with what we're seeing, and we have the sense that nothing is missing. Uh, the writer Gerald May calls these unitive experiences. James Finley calls them moments of spontaneous contemplative awakening. Here's how Thomas, Thomas Merton describes all of this in his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. I'm assuming y'all are familiar with Thomas Merton, the, the Trappist monk that wrote so many wonderful spiritual works in the, in the 50s and 60s. Quote, and this was written in the early 60s, and, and contains language that was used in the early 60s before they, in some ways before they knew better um, sexist, some sexist language. Um, what is serious to us is often very trivial in the sight of God. What in God might appear to us as play is perhaps what he himself takes most seriously. At any rate, the Lord plays and diverts himself in the garden of his own creation. And if we could let go of our own obsession with what we think is the meaning of it all, we might be able to hear his call and follow him in his mysterious cosmic dance. We do not have to go very far to catch echoes of that game and of that dancing when we are alone on a starlit night, when by chance we see the migrating birds in autumn descending on a grove of junipers to rest and eat, when we see children in a moment when they're really children, when we know love in our own hearts, or when, like the Japanese poet Basho, we hear an old frog land in a quiet pond with a solitary splash. At, at such times, the awakening, the turning inside out of all, of all values, the newness, the emptiness, and the purity of vision that make themselves evident provide a a glimpse of the cosmic dance. For the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. The more we persist in misunderstanding the phenomena of life, the more we analyze them out into strange finalities and complex purposes of our own, the more we involve ourselves in sadness, absurdity, and despair. But it does not matter very much, because no despair of ours can alter the reality of things. 
or stain the joy of the cosmic dance which is always there. Indeed, we are in the midst of it, and it is in the midst of us, for it beats in our very blood whether we want it to or not. Yet the fact remains that we are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and join in the general dance. So the mystery in the Christian contemplative mystical tradition, the mystery is being given to us as our lives. The spiritual journey is the extent to which we realize that this is what's going on, respond to it, and live it out in our daily lives. Uh, early on, I rather despaired that uh, this mystery was like an ocean and I was in only ankle deep. It's true that I was only ankle deep, but it's also true that I was in the ocean. And so what if the ocean at some point became infinitely deep out there? And what if the infinity of the ocean that was infinitely deep out there was the same ocean that was lapping around my ankles as I experienced my ankle deep knowledge of it. That it is infinity into which I had stepped only so far it seemed to me, but it was giving itself to me fully in my ankle deep experience of it. That the mystery participates fully, but I participate to the degree to which I give myself over to it. This love is poured out to us unconditionally. Father Thomas Keating, who created the method of centering prayer, teaches us that one of the fruits of sitting in silence with God is that God begins to reinforce to us our own essential goodness, as well as God's unconditional love for us, just as we are. It's a strange thing, it must be admitted, that we become exiled from this intuitive, visceral grounding in God's love. Again, the model of human relationships enters the picture, and we imagine that our imperfections have the power to taint the relationship. James Finley was a monk at Gethsemane Abbey near Louisville when Thomas Merton was there. Merton was his spiritual director. He says that one day Merton remarked to him that most of us go around with a little list in our heads of our imperfections. And we say, one day, God and I will really get down to business when I do this and this and this and this. Or one day, God and I will get, really get down to business when I stop doing this and this and this and this. And the years go by and the years go by and we realize that senility and enlightenment are in a race to the finish line. <laughs> Merton said the thing about it is that with God, there's no list. God doesn't, Merton said, God does not even ask us to get rid of our lists because God knows that a list is manageable, but unconditional love is not. That we are unconditionally loved as precious in our fragility, that we are invincibly precious in the love of this mystery that draws us to itself even in our brokenness. That God is smitten with us in our sincere efforts to live a life of love, humility, and service. That the real sadness is not that we slip and fall, 
but that we give more authority to our brokenness than we do to the love that creates us, sustains us, and calls us to itself in our brokenness. And I, I have to admit, this is how I lived for many years. Am I lovable yet? Am I lovable yet? How's this? How's this? Am I lovable yet? So, how can we live in a way that bears witness to this all-encompassing love? How, 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 how to move along this path? How can I die to the illusion that anything other than love has the power to name who I am? Our situation is that we're powerless to bring this about on our own efforts. We're like the poet. The poet cannot make the poem happen, but she can adopt the inner stance that offers the least resistance to the gift of the poem happening. St. John of the Cross, who lived in the 1500s, has a wonderful metaphor. He says, a ray of sh sunlight shining on a smudgy window is unable to illumine that window and completely transform it into its own light. It could do this if the window were cleaned and polished. The less the film and stain are wiped away, the less the window will be illumined. And the cleaner the window is, the brighter will be its illumination. The extent of illumination is not dependent upon the sunlight, but on the window. If the window is totally clean and pure, the sunlight will so transform and illumine it that to all appearances, the window will be identical with the ray of sunlight and shine just as the sun's ray. Although obviously the nature of the window is distinct from that of the sun's ray, even if the two seem identical, he says we can assert that the window is the ray or the light of the sun by participation. He says the soul on which the divine light of God's being is ever shining or better in which it is dwelling ever by nature is like this window. I can tell you from kind of slogging through St. John of the Cross, not an easy read, but that what he means by smudges on the window is our conviction that that our imperfections have the power to taint what is given to us. How to make some effort to clear away the smudges on the window of my spirit? Well, it, it starts with making a time for a daily rendezvous, a time of quiet and reflection, devoted to surrendering to the mystery, understanding and believing that I am participating in a relationship with a mystery that loves me through and through and through. Too self-evident to doubt, too deep to understand. To be willing to be perplexed with a surrendered heart. It is a surrendered heart that I wish to carry into the world, not a belief system or a set of theological constructs, but a heart that is given over to the love that gives itself over to me. So I, I try to cultivate an habituated vulnerability to love, moving out from the vulnerability that's practiced in the daily sitting of centering prayer. It's not a, relief a belief system so much as a stance toward the world. Now, am I concerned that I'm going to lose my identity in this process? Um, you know, two lovers in a moment of deep intimacy will gaze into each other's eyes and they'll say, we are one. And yet, in saying that we are one, they don't become each other. And yet they know somehow that because of their relationship, they are more than just each other. 
it's, it's like that. Um, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila had, had a metaphor of two lit candles and putting the candles together to, to burn as one flame. The fractures and brokenness of the world don't go away in this worldview, but they lose their tyranny over our hearts. Well, the more intimately you know someone, the less you can say about them. I've already probably talked longer than, than most folks do when they, they give uh, the message. But um, uh, this is what the mystics of the ages have taught us. Uh, they give us a different understanding of what it means to understand. Uh, I always thought that to understand meant to comprehend. Uh, as James Finley reminds us, to understand really means that we're given over to the incomprehensible stature of even the smallest of things while at the same time understanding that we are children of the infinite and that our very natures partake in the infinity that both sent us forth and calls us back to itself. I'll close with my favorite passage from Thomas Merton. If I can make it all the way through. 50% of the time I get choked up halfway through. We'll give it a shot. At the center of our being is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin and, and illusion. I'm, I'm stepping aside from the reading. How can we ever survive in the world unless we believe there's part of us that the world can't touch? Back to Thomas Merton. At the center of our being is a point of nothingness which is untouched by sin and illusion, a point of pure truth, a point or spark which belongs entirely to God, which is never at our disposal, from which God disposes of our lives, which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own will. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God in us, it is, so to speak, God's name written in us as our poverty, our indigence, our dependence, our status as God's children. It is like a pure diamond blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody, and if we could see it, we would see these billions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun that would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish completely. I have no program for this seeing. It is only given, but the gate of heaven is everywhere. Thank you so much for inviting me to share some of my journey. Um, this has been a wonderful service for me, and uh, I just I thank you very much. Thanks, Barbara.